Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Boosting Your Financial IQ. Today, I'm going to do something really crazy, okay? This is really crazy, and it's very gutsy because I'm going to try to explain a financial model, like this elaborate financial model that is built as part of the capital budgeting process over a podcast episode. Okay, so let me see if I can do this. And the reason why I want to do it over the podcast is because, number one, the podcast has a huge reach. It reaches people all across the world, and I think this is a really important topic. And I just had a meeting with somebody the other day where I presented a capital budget as part of their growth strategy, and they were so excited. I was so excited. I was talking so fast. I was so passionate, and I'm like, okay, I got to explain this to more people because when I was in school, this is when the light bulb came on for me in regards to finance. When we were building out a capital budget and we were looking at this financial model in particular, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how organizations can use strategy in the initiatives that they're pursuing and combine it with a financial model like a capital budgeting model and make better decisions to drive greater value. Okay, so that's why I love capital budgeting. If you don't know what capital budgeting is about, this is where you can Google it, like Google it, watch a YouTube video so you can get a visual of this if you want. Then take these principles that I'm going to explain to you today to help further your excitement for finance. Okay, in the app, in the Boosting Your Financial IQ app, we have a whole entire module that walks through capital budgeting. I'll walk you through exactly how to build a capital budget and what this looks like. Okay, but I want to just share with you over the podcast some benefits of capital budgeting, how it works, and some things to consider when making better decisions in your business. Okay, from a high-level perspective, imagine this. What we're doing here is anytime we're making a long-term investment decision, okay, this may include you know, purchasing new equipment, expanding a facility, or launching a new product, starting a new company, whatever it may be. We're ultimately forecasting out the next five years. Okay, you could go five years, 10 years, whatever you want to do, but let's just go with five years. We're looking at the next five years and we're trying to forecast out the amount of cash flow that this new piece of equipment, this new facility, this new product, or this new business will spit out. Okay, because ultimately I care about cash flow. Now, to get to that free cash flow line item, you have to go through revenue and cost of goods sold down to gross margin. You have to consider operating expense to get down to EBITDA. And then you take out depreciation and amortization and you're left with EBIT. And then you pay taxes on that EBIT. And then you add back depreciation and amortization. You consider changes in working capital and then capital expenditures and you arrive at free cash flow. Okay, I kind of went fast through all those line items, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to free cash flow. So imagine you buy a new piece of equipment. You may say, well, the equipment is in a business. How's, how's it going to produce free cash flow, Steve? Well, you're going to be able to generate new sources of revenue, hopefully through this equipment, or you're going to be able to save cost. So whether you're generating revenue, which leads to cash flow, or you're saving cost, which also leads to cash flow, this piece of equipment is ultimately producing cash flow. Unless you're just investing in a piece of equipment because it's fun, you want a piece of equipment, but you don't care if it makes money. Okay, that's a whole different story. Ultimately, the new piece of equipment is going to produce cash flow either by generating revenue or by saving cost. Same thing with expanding a facility. 
You may be expanding a facility because you need to produce more product and you're just out of space. Or maybe you want to open a new location. Maybe you have a clothing store already in San Diego and you want to open a location in New York, but you don't know if that makes sense financially. Well, you need to forecast out those cash flows and that's what it comes down to. It's not about revenue. It's not about how much revenue you could do. It's about how much cash flow this investment's going to take upfront over the time period and generate as well. And then you're going to take the net of all that cash flow and you're going to do something with it, which I'll explain here in a little bit. But that's what capital budgeting is all about. You're forecasting out the cash flow of a piece of equipment, of a new facility, of a new product, of a new business, basically of an asset. You're predicting the future cash flows of this asset, and then you're going to do some things to evaluate whether or not it's a good idea. Because you can't just add up all the cash flow and say, yay, it's positive cash flow, let's go with it. Instead, we're going to look at some other tools. So I'll talk about that here in a minute. So that's what capital budgeting is. It's a financial model that helps you to make better long-term investment decisions. Cool? You got that? Okay, great. Now, some other things to consider as a part of this whole model, as part of the capital budgeting process, is the time value of money. So capital budgeting, it takes into account the time value of money by recognizing that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future due to potential for investment and earning returns off those dollars. So in other words, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future because there are opportunity costs and inflation that erode the purchasing power of that dollar. Okay, so you have to take into account the time value of money, which we're going to use when we build out this model. And I'm going to walk you through this model verbally. But then we use something called NPV, net present value, to discount those cash flows to help us understand whether or not this is a good investment or not. Okay, more on that. Don't don't get too overwhelmed yet. Stay with me. Okay, I know I'm going to get a little nerdy on this one, but hopefully I can paint a nice visual for you. Also with capital budgeting, it helps us to assess risk. So capital budgeting involves evaluating the risks associated with investment projects. These risks can arise from market uncertainties, technological advancements, regulatory changes, or unexpected events. So assessing risks helps us to determine the feasibility of projects, understanding potential challenges, and then incorporating risk mitigation strategies into decision-making. We can make these risk-based decisions by understanding what are the major assumptions, what are the value drivers in our financial model, and how do those translate out there in the real world in operations, and then in just overall growth of this particular project or asset or whatever it may be. Okay, all this comes together with the importance of strategic alignment. So capital budgeting is just a nerdy financial model that you build, but if you don't take into account the strategy of the business, the strategy of using this new piece of equipment, the strategy of launching this product, then all you have is just a financial model, which is really just you know a pipe dream. So I'm gonna to talk to you more about that, about how you take a financial model and then involve the right players within your organization so you understand, okay, these are the key drivers we have to pay attention to. These are the strategic initiatives we need to put in place to make sure that this project is a success and we achieve these cash flows that we're forecasting in our model to make the project feasible. Because if you don't do all that, you're going to pursue projects either by just shooting from the hip, just through intuition by saying, yeah, I think that sounds good. Let's open a store in New York. But you could get lucky for a little bit, but if you don't have 
the financial discipline tied in with the strategy, then you're going to be making crazy decisions and ultimately you'll fail. Like, did you know that WeWork just filed for bankruptcy? I mean, check it out. It's crazy. Look at their valuations in the early days. They had this business model. They scaled up super fast. But my question is, is like, who was behind the numbers, the financial modeling? Who was paying attention to the strategy to ask whether or not this type of plan, this type of operating model would actually scale? I mean, I could tell you, I rented some WeWork space back in the day and just the number of staff that they had and all the expenses that they were incurring, I could tell you that it wasn't even economically feasible. I could tell you that they were headed towards bankruptcy years ago. Okay, so that's where capital budgeting is super important because it will help you to understand the true economics of the strategy you're trying to pursue. Okay, let me try to walk you through the model. So I'm literally looking at my computer right now at this financial model and I'm gonna walk you through it, okay? Like I said, I'm taking a big risk here because you could say, oh my gosh, this podcast sucks. I don't get it. I'm lost. You're trying to walk through a, a financial model over the podcast while you're listening to this, while you're driving, you're walking, you're running, you're whatever, ignoring your kids, whatever it may be. I'm just kidding. But yes, I am going to try to attempt this and we'll see how it goes. And then I'll take the feedback and then I'll make adjustments from here. But this is such a critical topic and it gets me so excited because when you build the model right, like I said, if you take that module that I was talking about within the app, it's in within, it's within level 3.0. It's an advanced finance topic. But if you take that module, I'll walk you through how to build this on your own. But you could also Google this and watch some YouTubes too if you, you want to go down another path. But the model I'm looking at is very versatile because you have all these assumptions that you could change. So for example, up top, I have like revenue growth, your gross margin, operating expenses, and other line items where you can toggle with the numbers. You can you know change growth in year two to 25%, or you can make it 50% or 30% or 10%. And you can do all different types of scenarios, which ultimately filters down and feeds your free cash flow line item. Okay. So to build a capital budgeting model, essentially we want to get down to free cash flow. If you can pull your free cash flow and you just start want to start with that, that's fine. You can skip all these other line items. But if you want to build it from scratch, I'm going to walk you through how to do that. The first line item is revenue. That's how much revenue your company does by selling its products and services. This is your top line, your sales. Okay. This is coming from your income statement. So you have revenue. You forecast that out over the next five years. So if you're opening a new store, let's take the example of opening this new store in New York. You say, okay, how much revenue can I do in year one? You put that number in there based on historicals, based on your market research, based on your best guesstimate, based on working with a financial expert or a consultant, you're going to have some basis to use, and then you're going to grow that revenue over the next five years, okay, in the column. So I'm, you, you have year one in the first column, and then you have the next five years built out in separate columns. The next line item or the next row in Excel would be cost of revenue. That's your cost of that revenue. So you have to forecast out your direct labor, your direct materials, and other costs associated with delivering that product or service to the end user. So in this example, opening a store in New York, and it's a clothing store, that's the payroll of the people staffing the store. That's your cost of your clothing and your apparel that you're going to resell and other costs associated with delivering that product or service. So we have revenue, cost of revenue, which gives us gross margin. And gross margin is just revenue minus cost of revenue. The next line item is operating expenses. So you're going to forecast out your overhead expenses associated with this product or the store. 
So your rent, your sales and marketing, your general and administrative payroll, right? Professional fees, your office and IT expenses. You're going to forecast all those out for the next five years. You'll take gross margins, subtract operating expenses, and you'll end up with EBITDA. Now, EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. So you may be thinking, okay, Steve, why do we do EBITDA? Why don't we account for interest up in operating expenses? Because maybe you have a line item for interest expense on your P&L and operating expenses. The reason why we don't include interest expense and we have EBITDA, earnings before interest, is because I want to ignore the capital structure of your business or this project or whatever it may be. Let's take a quick break. All right, I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. In other words, remember the accounting formula? Assets equal liabilities plus equity. The other side of the equation, your assets are supported by debt and equity. That's your capital structure. Every business has some level of debt and some level of equity. That's what I consider your capital structure. If you have debt, you're going to be paying interest expense on that capital structure. If you have equity, you're probably earning interest income because you have cash sitting in the bank or you have retained earnings that's earning some type of return. Okay, so I want to ignore that. I want to ignore the interest income and interest expense that comes from your capital structure because I don't care about the capital structure. The capital structure can change. Based on this project, if I open a new store in New York, I may have to go raise equity or take out more debt. And therefore, my capital structure is going to change. So when I build out my model, I want to ignore it so then I can make a better decision. And if I ever want to compare EBITDA to other companies, then now I have a solid baseline. So that's why interest is excluded, and I'm looking at EBITDA. So I have EBITDA, which is gross margin minus operating expenses. So I have EBITDA there. I'm going to take out depreciation and amortization because that reduces your taxable income. So I account for depreciation and amortization. I have it on a separate line, and I end up with EBIT. So I just take off the DA, depreciation and amortization, off EBITDA. So I end up with EBIT, earnings before interest and tax. Then I have to pay taxes on that. And even if you're an LLC or an S-Corp and you're a pass-through entity, those entities don't pay taxes. Like an LLC does not pay taxes. Instead, they're pass-through entities and the profit 
flows through to a K-1 in the United States, and that K-1 is issued to the owners of that LLC or the S-Corp, and they pay taxes. But you still have to account for taxes in your model because somebody's paying the taxes. Even if the LLC is not paying the taxes, it's flowing through to the owner and they're paying taxes. Okay, so I account for taxes, and then I end up with net operating profit after tax. That's my tax-affected EBIT. Okay, that's not cash flow though. That's just my net operating profit after I pay taxes. So to get to free cash flow, I have to add back depreciation and amortization. Because remember, we deducted it above, but depreciation and amortization is not a true cash outflow. It's not like I'm cutting a check or paying a bill to Mr. or Mrs. depreciation, right? Depreciation and amortization, all we're doing is we're including that expense to reduce our income because we're writing off our capital expenditures we made previously. Okay, so we add back depreciation and amortization. It's non-cash. Then we have to deduct capital expenditures, our investments in capital expenditures. And this is where you're going to put in year zero right now, today, you're going to put your capital investment. So let's just say it's going to take $1.5 million to open this store in New York. I'm going to have that in year zero. And then for the next five years, I'm going to project out how much I need to invest in capital expenditures in order to keep the store you know, looking great and operational. So that may include replacing the carpet or doing other tenant improvements over the next five years. Then the next line item is changes in working capital. And essentially, this is just your change in current assets and current liabilities. There's a delta between that and that cash is caught up on the balance sheet. So you have to account for this because think of it, in a clothing store, it's a little bit different, but in most businesses, you know, you go out there and you do work, you bill customers, they owe you money for 30 days, and then you pay your vendors and the difference between the money that the customers owe you, the money you owe your vendors, that's primarily your main stuff, that's working capital. In this clothing store, I'll go out and buy inventory, so I'm outlaying cash, I'm sitting on all this inventory in the store, hanging from the racks, but that's tied up on my balance sheet. So I have to account for this working capital, working capital to buy inventory, working capital to float the delta between my accounts receivable and my accounts payable. Okay, so I take net operating profit after tax. I account for depreciation and amortization by adding those two things back. I deduct out my cash outflows for capital expenditures. That's my investments in property, plant, and equipment. And then I have the changes in networking capital. All right, so I have column zero, year zero, year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. And at the bottom, I'm showing my free cash flow for each of those years. In year zero, remember, I have $1.5 million negative cash flow because that's the cash I have to put into the business to get it off the ground, to open the store in New York. Okay. And then the other years, I'm forecasting my cash flow based on operations of the business. All right. So that's my unlevered free cash flow line. Unlevered means it's my cash flow without accounting for debt and equity, okay? Ignoring the capital structure. So that's my unlevered free cash flow. So in year zero, I have negative 1.5 million, and then I have negative 7 million, and then I have 600,000, and then I have 800,000, 1.1 million, 1.6 million. I have all these numbers here at the bottom in free cash flow, and I highlight all of them on my computer, and it adds up to $2.6 million in free cash flow. Okay, positive free cash flow. So I make my money back from that initial investment. So that's great, right? So you may look at it and say, okay, $2.6 million. That's great, Steve. Let's go for it. Well, 
you have to remember that that's $2.6 million that's going to be collected over the next five years. And remember, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar in the future because of opportunity cost. I could take that dollar and reinvest it and open up other locations. So there's a cost to that of it being tied up in this business and inflation. Remember, inflation reduces my purchasing power. So the cash that I get in year five is not going to be as valuable as it would be if I collected it today. So I have to discount those cash flows. So I discount the cash flows by my weighted average cost of capital. And this is where the capital structure comes into play. Remember, we're ignoring it up above. Well, right now I'm accounting for the capital structure through my weighted average cost of capital because this is my cost of my debt and my equity. Okay, so this is where you incorporate your capital structure into the equation. Okay, if you don't know what weighted average cost of capital is or these other terms like changes in working capital, I have other episodes on the podcast and I also have the app where you could go in there and you could watch videos and you can learn about this. That's the whole point, right? So I discount the cash flows by my weighted average cost of capital. And then I end up with the net present value, the value of the cash flows in today's dollars right now, which sum up to $1.5 million. Okay, so when you're doing a capital budget and you're trying to evaluate whether or not a project makes sense, all you're doing is you're taking the free cash flows and you're summing them up. Your projected free cash flows over the next five years. You're going to discount those cash flows using your weighted average cost of capital. If your net present value, that's your sum of all your cash flows discounted in today's dollars, if your net present value is greater than zero, ding, 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 you should invest, okay? Because it will be additive to your organization's value, okay? It'll create more firm value, in other words. Now, there's a lot of caveats there. That assumes that you know you have capital and there's no other alternative investments with a higher NPV, there's all this other stuff. But speaking most simply here, if NPV is greater than zero, then it is a project that will add value to your firm. Okay, so that's the first criteria. NPV is something you wanna pay attention to. The next thing is IRR. This stands for your internal rate of return. So you could just do the formula in Excel, you go I equals IRR, you sum all those cash flows, from year zero all the way to year five, and it'll give you a return. And in my model that I'm looking at right now, it's a 30.8% return. So the way you wanna look at IRR, internal rate of return, is this. If IRR exceeds your weighted average cost of capital, which in my model is 8%, then it's adding firm value. So think of it like this. You make 30% on this project, and you borrow money to fund this project at 8%. So therefore, that spread, that 22%, allows you to add firm value. But if your IRR is less than your weighted average cost of capital, your NPV is going to be zero or negative, right? So that's not going to make sense because if you borrow money at 8%, but your project only returns 6%, well, obviously that would be dumb to pursue, right? Because you can only return 6%, but you're paying 8% on the money. That wouldn't make sense. So you have to look at IRR in conjunction with NPV. But don't look at IRR by itself because if you have another project and it has a higher NPV but a lower IRR, it still may make sense to pursue the project with the lower IRR if the NPV is higher. Because in dollar terms, sure, you know, you may have a project with a 50% IRR, but you're only creating a net present value of $100, right? Versus 
earning $1.5 million in net present value at an IRR of 20%, for example. So you have to look at those two things in unison. The next thing I want to point out is MIRR. So not to confuse you too much on this podcast, but MIRR stands for Modified Internal Rate of Return. So IRR assumes that you have these cash flows and you earn cash flows in year one and you could reinvest it at the IRR, at the 30.8% in my model. Well, that may not always be feasible. If you have a project that has a high IRR, you may not be able to find another investment or another project that earns that same rate of return. So IRR could be kind of flawed. That's why I like MIRR because it takes those cash flows and instead of assuming it reinvesting them at the IRR rate, that higher rate, you're reinvesting it at some other rate of return, your reinvestment rate, which could be your return on invested capital. Okay, so it's more realistic and it doesn't skew the numbers by assuming you can just reinvest those cash flows at that IRR. Whoa, that was a lot of IRR jargon, right? So if you don't follow me, that's fine. Let's just keep going. The last metric is payback period. And the payback period just essentially tells you how long it takes for you to earn back your money. And in my model, it's 3.1 years. There's also something called the discounted payback period where you look at the discounted cash flow and you see how long it takes you to pay back your initial investment based on the discounted value of those cash flows, not just the normal value of the cash flows, the undiscounted value. Okay, so those are some things that you want to look out for. Net present value, remember if it's greater than zero, it's adding firm value. Look at IRR, make sure it's greater than your cost of capital, your weighted average cost of capital. MIRR is just another way to look at IRR. And then you have payback period and some variation thereof. Whether you do discounted or undiscounted, that'll help you to understand how long it'll take you in years to earn back your money. That's how capital budget works. So it's cool because I was working with this client the other day and we're looking at acquiring this other location. And then I built a capital budgeting model for them as part of my consulting. And then we worked together over a Zoom call, changing the numbers, messing with the assumptions, adding in sensitivity analysis and scenario planning. And at the end of the call, we're like, yeah, now we have a model to go forward to help us with our M&A strategy. Okay. And that's where it's like really cool. And the light bulb came on. This executive got really excited and I thought, you know what, I should do a podcast episode because if he's excited, so many people will be excited too if they can take this tool and apply it in their own businesses. So if you're a business leader, whether you're an owner or an entrepreneur and you're trying to make decisions for the long term related to investments and you're not incorporating a capital budget into that process, you're missing out. Okay, I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out on a ton of opportunities and you're probably not earning optimal returns. Okay, so incorporating the capital budgeting model into your decision-making process when making long-term investments can be so powerful. Like I said, if you wanna learn more about how to do this, you can go to the app, Boosting Your Financial IQ, check it out. Go to the website too, there's resources there as well. But I will walk you through how to do all this so you can incorporate this into your financial and strategic intelligence arsenal, okay? Like I said, this changed my life and it radically changed the way that I approach business and making long-term investments for businesses. And I wanted to share that with you today. Give me feedback, send me feedback, steve at byfiq.com. That's steve at byfiq.com. Was this a bad idea? Was this a bad idea to try to walk through a model over a podcast? Are you like utterly confused? I'd love to hear from you. So say yes, no, maybe so. Give me some feedback of how I can make this better but I thought I'd give it a try. 
Also, I'm active on Instagram. You could always reach out to me there. I know a lot of you already send me DMs through Instagram. You can reach out through LinkedIn, connect on LinkedIn. You can shoot me an email. You could download the Boosting Your Financial IQ app and connect through the community. Whatever works best for you, I would love to hear from you. I'm just excited about this topic. I get very passionate and it makes me feel so good when I hear from everybody in the community. So please keep reaching out. I wish you all the best. Keep boosting your financial IQ because it will open up the door to so many opportunities, I promise you. So I wish you all the best and until next time, take care of yourself. Cheers. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.